There came a moment in the life of Christ, through his journey of ministry, that the time came for all of the kind of mystery, kind of all the uncertainty, kind of the, all of the deflection, if you will, the little bit of smoke and mirrors, the little bit of rhetoric that made it a little hard for people to kind of pinpoint some things. The time came for all of that to end. You know, those moments when Jesus would deflect like in John's Gospel, the very first miracle that takes place when he turns the water into wine. I know most of us Baptists don't like to think very much about that issue, but you know, when he turns the water into wine, he says to his mother, he says, you know, my hour has not yet come. There's sometimes along the journey, he'll heal somebody and he'll tell them, don't tell anybody. When Peter confesses him as the Christ, the Son of God, he says, can't tell anyone. But there became a moment in the life of Jesus where all of that was behind him. And it was time for him to declare openly who he was and the claims that he was making. We know of that experience as the triumphal entry. The victory parade before the victory as Jesus enters into Jerusalem. We, 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 you know, he was traveling with the throng of pilgrims who were making their way to Jerusalem for the Passover. The city of Jerusalem was pretty large, but it, there were times when it reached the times of Passover, it would swell by 200, it would literally be three to four times as many people in Jerusalem as regularly lived there. Just thousands and thousands and thousands of people flocked to the city. In this particular occasion, Jesus was one of those. Like many of the pilgrims from the north, he had made his way out across the Jordan River, came down the east side and was crossing through Jericho to make his way up to the city because he didn't want to travel through the area of Samaria. That's the way they did it. They didn't want to be near the Samaritans. And so he's traveling up and he's joined in the crowd and as they get to a peak overlooking the city of Jerusalem, overlooking the temple, we find this experience of the triumphal entry. You know, it's a pretty significant event. You know, it's interesting, all four Gospels tell us about the triumphal entry. Not just a couple, of, but all four of them. Because this was a defining moment in the life of Christ. Do you know that only two of the Gospels tell us the details of His birth? Only two. John doesn't say anything about it. Mark doesn't say anything about it. Do you know only three out of the four Gospels tell us the details of the Lord's Supper? Because John doesn't give us any of those details. But all four of them tell us about the triumphal entry. Why? Because it matters. It's a point. I mean, it all matters, but they want to make sure. This is a moment in time in the life of Christ where he has drawn a line in the sand. All the mystery is gone. All of the... All of the hiddenness, all of the, the secrecy, all of the, the, the allowing there to be doubt about who he is or whatever, all of that is behind him and it's time for him to step forward and make the claim of who he is. And we see that in the events of the triumphal entry. It is, if you will, the defining moment of Christ that transforms everything that takes place that next week. It is... That declaration that he makes is what actually clarifies for us who Jesus is and what is the meaning of the things that happen in the weeks, the days that follow. 
It impacted his trajectory here on life, on, on, in, on, in his earthly life, and it defines the trajectory of those of us who are his followers. So I, I want to take a look at one of the accounts of the triumphal entry this morning and draw some thoughts for us as we, define, we launch into this series entitled Defining Moments. I'd love for you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew 21 with me, the Gospel of Matthew. If you're using one of our pew Bibles, the text starts on page 833. Love for you to grab one of those. It should be right underneath your, your seat. You can grab one. Turn to page 833. If you're using your own, Matthew's right at the very beginning of the New Testament, about two-thirds of the way back through your Bibles. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11 today of Matthew chapter um, 21. I'm going to go back and make some observations for us, and then we'll try to make some, some, draw out some truth that we can build our lives on, some things that we can chew on to have our own defining moments related to Christ's defining moment, and then we'll observe the Lord's Supper together. So when they approached Jerusalem, Matthew tells us, and they came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus then sent two disciples, telling them, go into the village ahead of you. At once you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you should say that the Lord needs them, and immediately he will send them. So this took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Tell daughter Zion, see, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So the disciples, they went and did just as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and then they laid their robes on them, and he sat on them, and a very large crowd spread their robes on the road, Others were cutting down branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. John tells us that some of them were using palm trees that they had probably, palm branches that they had probably brought from Jericho with them and using as, as fans and et cetera. They were laying them on the road and, and the crowds went ahead of him and those who followed kept shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was shaken. It's actually probably not a strong enough word. It's, it's a, that, you know, it, was like, it was like a, a, an earthquake was going through the city. There was total shock and they were mesmerized by what was happening. The whole city was, was shaking, saying, who is this? And the crowds kept saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. May God add His blessing to the reading of His Word today. Now, you know, we, first of all, let me say, I know today's not Palm Sunday, all right? I'm not that far off on the calendar, all right? But since we're not having a Good Friday service, next Sunday we've got to talk about the cross. So today we're going to talk about the triumphal entry. And next Sunday we'll hand out the palms, all right? So you get, you get, you get a double dose of, of the triumphal entry this year of, of Palm Sunday. This is a remarkable experience in the life of Christ. Just a couple of chapters earlier, as Peter is confessing Jesus as the Christ, you are the Son of God, he said, listen, don't tell anybody. Keep that to yourselves. It's just for you. A few chapters later, Jesus is ready to go into the city of Jerusalem. And he is the one who takes an initiative to make a declaration that nobody could really miss. There's a couple of things that really stand out in this. Now, 
You'll notice at the beginning of the text as Jesus you know, makes his way to the top of Mount of Olives, Mount Olives, the Mount of Olives, Christina and I have had the privilege of, of traveling down that hill into the city of Jerusalem. When you stand on the top of the hill, you have a, a tremendous view of the temple complex. And it's, it's, a, it's a fairly steep, you know, I think the word mountain is a little overrated. It's, it's, it's like a good-sized hill, but, you know, it's, it's kind of like going down a, like one of the Route 62 hills here in town, you know, as you head down. It's not, it's not like you're climbing Mount Washington, all right? It's a, just a little, little less than that. But, but Jesus is on this peak. He's looking out over the city of Jerusalem. Some of the texts tell us that he's, he weeps for the city of Jerusalem, and so they've built a little church they call the, the Church of Tears, where, where they think he stopped and looked over the city and prayed. But he's making his way down, and as he does so, he tells two of the disciples, this is something I want you to do. I want you to go into the village, and when you get there, you're going to see a donkey. Actually, you're going to see a donkey, and it's colt. I want you to bring it back. If anybody gives you any trouble, okay, just tell them the Lord has need of it. Talk a little bit about what that means, might suggest in just a minute. But, and, and they bring it back, and, he, and Jesus climbs on it, and he begins to make his way down to the city. People are putting out their clothes in front of him. These acts are a message in and of themselves. This isn't just a cool thing to do. It's not like, you know, when my brother left his reception after he got married, they left in a helicopter. This isn't just like a, a cool thing to do. These actions have a message in and of themselves. There was a passage in the book of Zechariah, Zechariah, one of the minor prophets, a word that was declared about 500 years before the coming of Christ. And it used this phrase that is set out, at least in our pew Bibles, in, in verse 5, in, in bold. It's a quote from the prophet Zechariah. It says, Behold, you know, tell the daughter of Zion, see, your king is coming to you gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And this had always been understood as a messianic prophecy. So here's Jesus as he's approaching the city of Jerusalem, the one who had always been reluctant to step out of the shadows into the limelight and say, I am the Messiah, that I am the one, I am the anointed one. In this particular moment, he, st- he, he takes the initiative, sends off his disciples, he, they bring back the colt, he climbs on it, begins to walk down, ride down the, the Mount of Olives, and they're throwing out their garments in front of him, and they're singing Hosanna to the, to the, in the highest. And he is making a declaration that I am the one. I mean, he doesn't say it in particular words, but his actions are intended to declare, I am the one. The actions that start to happen around him as they start to take off their cloaks. And, you know, in those days, they wore like an inner tunic and, and an outer robe. And so they're taking out their, off their outer robe and they're putting it over the backs of the, of the donkey. They're laying it out in front. Those who didn't have anything to use, they were taking branches, maybe cutting uh, stalks out of the fields that were along the way and setting them out and they're riding across. And this is a clear image from 2 Kings chapter 9, the 13th verse. When Elisha sent one of his servants to Jehu to anoint him as the king, they went into an inner room and he anoints him in secret. But when Jehu comes out, they're all saying, what happened in there? What happened in there? He said, oh, you just kind of came to me. He said, no, 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 you're not telling us the truth. What happened in there? He said, well, he came from Elisha and he anointed me with oil and said, I'm the next king. And, 
and they break out into celebration, and this, as Jehu is walking out, they're laying their garments in front of him, and they're putting out stuff, and they're treating him like a king. And so as Jesus is making his way into the city of Jerusalem, not only is he riding on a colt saying, I'm the, amount, the anointed one, I am the Messiah, they're treating him like a king, and when religious leaders around him start to say, hey, Jesus, you, got, you know, the, 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 you got to tell your people, you got to tell people to stop doing this. People are going to get the wrong idea. They're going to think that you're saying you're the Messiah, that you're really the king of the Jews. And what is Jesus' response to them? We find that in the Gospel of Luke. He said, you know what? If, if these people weren't doing it, the very rocks themselves would cry out. He, he makes the testimony that, that this is indeed reality. I am the Messiah. I am the King. I am the King of the Jews. I'm literally the King of Kings. And so I'm making my way into Jerusalem. I'm making that declaration. And if these people didn't join me, very literally all of nature would join in to make that declaration of who I am. It's a big change, isn't it? It's a big change. Jesus before wasn't ready for his moment. His hour hadn't come. Now it had. He wasn't ready for everybody to hear the voice, but now he was creating that moment. Jesus was stepping out of the shadows into the limelight, and he was the one who created this defining moment in which he says, I am the one that you've been waiting for. I am the one that you have been waiting for. So even as others around him are saying, you've you got to put a stop to this, this isn't right, Jesus says, I am the one you are waiting for. And Jesus is the one who creates this defining moment. Now, we, we have to really kind of struggle with kind of where all of this is. And, you know, we, we, we clearly see that Jesus had prearranged this. We you know, the whole situation with the donkeys, right? That kind of gets people to, you know, well, how did that all work? And some people, some, most commentators, I shouldn't say most, some commentators believe that Jesus had already made arrangements when he was in the area before that these would be available to him. And so the key word, the, the, the mystery word that you would just communicate to those who were watching over the animals was that the Lord has need of it and the owner had already agreed to send it. And that's plausible for sure. We don't have any record of that in the New Testament. That's plausible. Others think that maybe the disciples, Jesus was giving the disciples some doublespeak to use so that when they would say, well, the master has need of it, they would be thinking, well, it's the donkey's master that has need of it, so they're getting it for the owner. But I, I don't think that deception is really kind of in the heart of the things. It could be that simply the command, the Lord has need of it, was that Jesus is the Lord. All is His, and at this moment He required this, and by God's Spirit, he was going to take those who had control over the donkeys, the owners of the donkey, and they'd say, okay, we understand, we agree, we accept. Use the donkeys. But as Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the donkeys with folks laying out their clothes in front of him, tossing out leaves, creating the red carpet for him, he is undeniably creating a moment when he says, I am the one that you've been waiting for. I am the Messiah. I'm the one who's been prophesied about since the days of Adam. I am the one who has come to bruise the heel of the snake that represents the evil one. I am the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's interesting. As you 
as you kind of work your way through all of this, there's, you really begin to ask the question. So Jesus arrives in Jerusalem, right? And, and, and there, are, there are people now there from literally all over the world. There's certainly people who are, are coming from you know, countries that are immediately around Israel that, that they're not, you know, they maybe haven't had any personal hands-on experiences with Jesus. Maybe they haven't heard a lot about him, whatever. So as he arrives in the city, they're asking this question, who is this? Who is this guy that's creating this uproar and this per- victory parade as he rides into the city? And, and that is exactly the point that Jesus is trying to create. He's trying to create a moment where everyone has to answer the question, who is this? One of Matthew's big themes throughout the course of his book, and remember, you've got to remember Matthew wrote more to a Jewish audience than most of the other gospel writers, and as he's writing to this Jewish audience, one of the things that he confronts them with over and over again is, who do you think Jesus is? It's the, as the scholars say, the Christological question. How do you understand who Jesus is? And and the whole point of the triumphal entry is for Jesus to make this declaration and to create a moment, a defining moment for the crowds, for the city, for us as to how we're going to answer this question. Who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? Jesus wants to be able to make his own claim. You know, they say that he's a prophet, right? So they say, well, He's a godly guy, right? This guy's a teacher. He's a miracle worker. She's like, uh, that's not who I am. I'm the Messiah. I'm the chosen one. I'm the king, the king of the Jews. It's interesting that, that there's always this struggle to try to understand who Jesus is. I mean, Christina and I, when we were on that, that tour of Israel, you know, it's, in some ways you've got to feel bad for the tour guides, you know, that take... The Christians around, you know, on these tours, because our, our tour guide was Jewish. I, I, I think he was really kind of nominally Jewish. He wasn't really like an Orthodox Jew or anything, but this was, you know, actually tourism is one of the biggest industries in Israel, so he got into this two-year certification process, the whole nine yards, and, but people are just constantly pecking him. Well, well, who do you think Jesus is? <laughs> kind of stuff. And I remember one time we're standing actually just about 50 yards from the Wailing Wall, and 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 I'm talking, we're, several people are asking, and I remember him just saying, well, I, I think Jesus was a great teacher. And I wish he had lived longer because he had a lot of great stuff to teach my people. That sounds really great. It's just wrong. It sounds really great, but it's just wrong. Jesus was a great teacher, but that, that's not, the point is, is that he is the Messiah. He is the one. He is the king of kings and you know and, and we live in a, in, a, in a generation today where, where where we try to do that we, we live in a time when 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 a pluralism of religion seems to be the thing that's emerging and so what do you do with jesus who comes along rides into the city of jerusalem and says i'm it and i'm the only it and there is no other it well he's a good teacher And so he creates this defining moment where we have to answer the question for ourselves. Who is Jesus? Is he godly? Or is he God? So I think that Matthew's intent 
Luke's intent, Mark's intent, John's intent, is to keep the issue of who Jesus is before us. And it presents us with only two options. We can either reject Jesus as He is, I mean embrace Jesus as He is, or we can reject Him. But we don't get to redefine Him. We don't get to redefine Him. We don't get to say, well, this is who I want Him to be. We either embrace Him as He revealed Himself to be, or we say, He's a liar. We don't get the choice to redefine Him for ourselves. You know, and it's, it's an interesting thing. I, I think this whole question about who is Jesus really is one of our greatest defining moments. The way you and I answer that question is one of our greatest defining moments of our lives. How we process who Jesus is, the conclusions that we draw, are the things that have tremendous impact on how our lives go. It really is the original defining moment spiritually for us. It's to answer the question, who is Jesus? And, and I think we, we answer that question in a, in, a, in, in a, what's the right word, a, a universal, a cosmic, a once-for-all kind of thing, but then I think we also answer it on a daily basis. I think there is a time when every single one of us has to confront this question for the very first time, and we either determine that Jesus is just kind of something else, or we embrace Him as the King of Kings who rode into the city of Jerusalem on a beast of peace and took on not an earthly foe, but a spiritual foe. The spiritual foe of sin and death, and He died on a cross in our place and was resurrected on the third day so that He could deliver us from that spiritual foe ourselves. We either, there's a point in time when we either make that decision and embrace that revelation or we reject it. And some of us are confronting that defining moment today in the season of our life that we're going through. But I think there's also a sense, besides this kind of this initial confrontation, the question of who is this, who is Jesus, whether we embrace Him as, as the Savior sent to deliver the world from sin or whether we kind of push Him off, we think, to something else. I think there's a sense, too, in which we confront this decision almost every day as those who were followers of Christ. I think a lot of us, you know, we say, well, I'm attending church, right? So I'm one of the ones who said, yes, you know, who Jesus is. I got to tell you, I, I, I think there's ways in which we struggle in this. Here are these people who are on celebrating Jesus' entry. They're singing, they're singing psalms that come out of Psalm 118. They're, they're claiming this passage, living out the, the passage from Kings. They're, they're reciting the passage from Zechariah. They're, they're all in, and yet not too long afterwards, many of them are going to be saying crucify him. You see, I, I think there's a way in which when we, we need to say, I'm in, we answer who Jesus is, but then on a daily basis we decide who's Jesus going to be to me today. And there's ways in which, like the crowd, we turn our backs on him and we move in different directions. And, and that also has an impact on our spiritual trajectory. 
who, what we're going to do with Jesus every single day. There's ways in which we, like many who were riding with him, walking with him into Jerusalem that day, we believe that Jesus should step into our lives, fix all of our problems, take away all of our pain, make our lives great. And when it comes up short of that, we decide we're going to peel back and we're going to take control. He's not really the king anymore. He's just a good idea that makes me feel better when I think about eternity. That's not who Jesus is. And each and every moment when we're deciding things about our relational lives, our emotional lives, our vocational lives, our, our sexual lives, our financial lives, and you can just keep going right on. Every single time when we refused this moment of who is this, and we refuse to recognize that He is the King of kings, we change our spiritual trajectory, and it's not for the better. I think Jesus wanted to keep this question before us, and that's why He gave us the Lord's Supper. So we'd always remember that we need to initially, and once for all, but on a daily basis, make the decision for ourselves how are we going to answer the question, who is this? So that's what we do in these moments. I'd like to invite those who are going to help serve the Lord's Supper to go ahead and take their stations in the back. Let me just read the very first account, just a few pages over in Matthew's Gospel. As Jesus was meeting with the disciples on the final night of his earthly life. If you were following John's account, he's already washed the disciples' feet. They've enjoyed the meal, and they're actually getting kind of ready to depart. And it says, as they were eating, Jesus took bread. He blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body. He's defining who he is. This is how I want you to answer the question, who is this? Then he took a cup. And after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood that establishes the covenant. If you answer the question right, you get a brand new relationship with God. You get a brand new destination for eternity. You, get a brand, you become a brand new person. You have a new covenant. It is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray together for just a minute. God, thank you for this reminder today that Jesus is all. That he's not just a, a great teacher. He's not someone who just had a lot of good ideas. He's not a way just to live life on a higher plane. But that he's the answer. He's the one. He's the solution. He's the Savior. And he's our Lord. God, lead us in these moments to confront that question again. And allow us to answer it in such a way that these moments become a defining moment for us. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.
as Jesus offered the bread to his disciples that night. We might paraphrase what he said in terms of our question today, who is this? He says, I am the solution, the answer to the consequences of your sin. Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. He said, and I would, I am your means of becoming a part of the family of God for eternity. Drink from it, all of you. God's people said, Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me as we sing to the one who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords? And as we sing, I invite our ushers to come and to receive our offering. And you can place your connection cards with your prayer requests in there.